All right, church family, let's open God's word and have a reading. Pastor Randy is in a series on Moses. And so we're going to be reading from the book of Exodus. Big surprise. All right, turn to Exodus chapter 11 if you have your Bibles. And while you're going there, let me just give you a quick back, background. In Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, God predicted to Moses when he was standing in front of the burning bush. He said, go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey to the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So God is telling Moses, without me, this isn't going to happen. All right, so let's turn to chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And it's the plague of the firstborn. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says about midnight. I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know what the Lord makes a dis that, that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me, saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Let's say our scripture declaration. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, the truth of your word that we can, we can open and glean truth from today and, and apply your truth to our lives today. God, bless our pastor as he comes forward to read the message that you have laid on his heart today. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the teenagers to go ahead and go back to the back with Eric and uh, go into that class and uh, allow him to do some teaching on your level. You guys enjoy yourselves and thank you for being in up to this point. May God bless you, especially in your last couple of days of freedom. So enjoy and uh, enjoy this class. If you just keep your Bibles open there, 
uh, to Exodus chapter 11 or your phones there close by. We'll kind of be referring back and forth, but in many ways, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be kind of sharing a little bit uh, of a continuation and a prelude. So here's what I mean. First of all, didn't Jacob do a wonderful job last week? I mean, my goodness, what a great job. Let's hear it for him. Great job, Jacob. Uh, he is actually in Oklahoma. My nephew actually was married yesterday uh, in Oklahoma City. Jacob and uh, Bianca were in the wedding, really just Bianca. I started to say Jacob and Bianca were bridesmaids, but that is not going to get me a lot of fans with, uh, with Jacob. So Jacob was uh, in the wedding and at the wedding, Bianca was uh, bridesmaid and uh, they are there. And uh, next week will be their final week here as intern. But we have really enjoyed having them. He has been a blessing to our youth and to our ke- uh, teens. Uh, and so uh, Bianca as well to the kids. But we are going to be honoring them, kind of sharing with them and seeing them off and probably have a, uh, a very, very small reception at the end of our time together next week, but I hope that you'll be here and encourage these young people. This is our opportunity to give them a, pl- uh, a place to serve, uh, to preach and teach and work in the back and various things that they are doing, uh, and just give an opportunity to really grow their skills as they are growing towards being used in God's kingdom work full time. So be here next weekend and continue to encourage them. So I'm going to take a little bit about what Jacob said last week. I'm going to share a little bit this week and kind of give you a little bit of a prelude to what is going to be uh, spoken about next week, because really, honestly, the Exodus doesn't just simply happen in one fell swoop. It's kind of a continuing story. It begins with the plagues, and then it kind of moves to the the Passover that we're going to be talking about today, and then it comes to the crossing of the Red Sea. And so, Rather than try to get all of that in into one message, it's going to be kind of a flow from one to the next and then finally, you know, come to an end. But here's the two parts to this exodus. And uh, well, actually, let's talk about the teaching titles real quickly, where we've been and what we've been talking about. We talked about the origin story of a nation the Jewish boy who became the prince of Egypt. Then we talked about God's will my way, how Moses tried to step in and be the deliverer before God was ready to use him in that way. And then we talked about burning bushes and second chances. And now as we kind of move forward, last week was the plagues that preach, in other words, God's will his own way. And then part six today is the Passover and the Exodus itself begins. Next week is the Red Sea and Exodus part two. Um, You know, that kind of uh, message that goes hand in hand. Let's go to our next slide and you can kind of be reminded that the very first Passover would become the highest annual Jewish festival. It's the roots of communion for us as a uh, Christian uh, community and those followers of Christ that we are. As a matter of fact, in God's word, when Moses is being spoken to by God, he said, this is a Passover. And when this happens, I want you to know how important this is. This is literally going to be something that rearranges the calendar. This, from this point forward, is going to be the very first month of the calendar for the Jews from this day forward, because you will be celebrating Passover with a very special, the very most important holiday and festival of the entire year will take place. That's how big this thing is going to be. Are you guys with me? Y'all understand what he's saying? And then later, the crossing of the Red Sea is kind of that second part. But you really can't see what God is doing and how God is in this situation without kind of taking it in context of the nine plagues that Jacob talked about last week, the references that he made, and some of the 
themes and ideas that he shared. And then this is kind of the culmination and the ending of those 10 plagues. And so we're going to be talking about these different parts of the Exodus. Let's go to our next slide. And these are some of the lists here. And (laughs) oh my goodness, I actually do have different numbers. I don't just go from four to six. Now, I, I... I am odd, but I don't like to leave out the odd numbers, but this is the different uh, ones that happen, and I guess I didn't get the spacing quite right, so y'all will have to forgive me, I'm sorry. Try to make it visual, because you want to be visual, and it's a little easier to remember, but these are the plagues, and it's supposed to end with nine. There is a fifth one in there, so I apologize, but the Nile turns to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, um, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, um, and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, and I'm going to blow it, so I'm not going to do this, but these are the, the plagues that begin. Now, I want you to take a moment and focus on that very first one. The Nile turns to blood. Now, this is very, very important and probably something that you might not know if, you know, you're just a modern person. I'm a modern person. I don't have a lot of understanding about how they used to live in Egypt, but this is very important, and this is our first something to learn. Um, If you remember, the Nile was turned to blood. Let's go to our next slide, and you will see um, that the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went to his palace and did not even take this thing to heart. So you can almost see Pharaoh in your mind's eye, and this is not scripture, this is my own you know, kind of sanctified imagination here, but you can almost see Pharaoh recognizing that the Nile River has been turned into blood and there's fish that are dying, and there are plants that are dying in the process of it all. But rather than, you know, falling down and going, this is an incredible miracle, the magicians that he has hired said, well, we can, we can figure out a way to make that happen too. And so they produce something, and you guys know, I mean, there's a difference between a real miracle and a charlatan, right? I mean, we all know that. And basically what they do is they kind of pretend and do their little changes around. They probably had some water and a dye, you know, that they put in it. And, oh, look, we've turned this to blood. And, you know, Pharaoh believed him, and he just kind of turned away and went away. Didn't even take it to heart. And this is very, very important. All throughout this kind of recapping of the the plagues and talking about the plague of the firstborn, you're going to see that God goes way out of his way to make sure, to make sure that you and I are aware of the state of Pharaoh's heart. He goes way out of his way to make sure that we are fully aware of the state of Pharaoh's heart. Now, why in the world would he do that? I mean, because it's all about what you do, right? But I'm reminded of the proverb that says, above all things, guard your heart because from that flow all of the things of life. And I'm here to tell you that truth be told, if your heart is not right and your heart is not in the right place or if your heart has become hard or cold or callous, no matter what you are presented with, you will not feel You will not act, you will not react to the things that you are given by God in the way that you should. How many of you guys know that and you've had that experience before, right? If your heart is hard, if your heart is not in it, it doesn't matter. 
The greatest thing could come to your front doorstep and say, I'm here just for you, but if your heart is not in it, it will not affect you. And so very clearly you're going to see that God cares about us knowing the state of Pharaoh's heart. And I would say before we go any further in today's message, that if you can't grasp that the very first thing that you are called to do, I shared this with you two weeks ago, is that God first wants your heart and then he wants your hands and he wants them in that order. He wants your heart first and then wants your hands. And so we've got to be very careful that we always are constantly giving our heart over to the Lord. And I'm not just talking about that, hey, I'm giving myself to the Lord in salvation and then I do it again next week and I do it again the next. No, no, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about making sure that your heart does not become hard and callous and push away the things of God because I believe that God is constantly showing himself to us to prevent us and to provide for us you know, prevent us from going the wrong path and provide for us good things in our life. I believe he's always doing that, but if our hearts are not ready to receive it, it doesn't matter how boldly he proclaims it, we will miss it altogether. If you guys agree with that, can y'all say amen right now? Amen? Okay. Y'all have figured out, if I say, can I get an amen, and I get a good amen, I just keep moving. I see what y'all are doing. I'm not even mad at it. All right, let's keep moving here. Let's keep going. And this is important. When the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret art, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. Can we go to our next slide here? And this is something to learn. I want you to notice. Pharaoh was worshipped as a god. Also, the Egyptians worshipped the Nile River as a god as well. And I mean, think about this for a moment. If you are in the ancient world and the Nile provides everything for you, whether it's water for your flocks and your livestock or the fish that you eat or whatever it might possibly be, the Nile River is constantly providing and producing for you. You might begin to think in a superstitious way, in a superstitious mind of an ancient you know, person that you are you know, serving a God and he is serving you back. Pharaoh was worshipped as a god. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile River as a god. So when God struck the Nile and confronted Pharaoh himself with flies and gnats and frogs and all of these different things that sometimes came up out of the Nile or were struck by his hand and changed the Nile in its physical characteristics, he was in a direct showdown and said, you think you're gods. I'm here to show you who the real, true, one God is. Now, can I get an amen on that too as well? See, y'all are learning, right? We're keeping on moving here. But this is God showing down and showing himself strong. And let's be very clear, every single opportunity that a plague happens, he has an opportunity to turn his back and say, you know what, clearly I'm not the boss of this show right now. It is truly your God, the God that you're the spokesperson for, is clearly more powerful than I. I can't even get my magicians to pretend that they've created something like what you've created. And this is happening in a very specific part of Egypt and not touching the Jews over here because they are God's people. And there's a clear delineation between these things. It's right there if he will just pay attention, but he will not do it because his heart is, what, do you guys know? It's hard. It's a hard heart. 
All right, let's keep moving. So we go to this concept here, and we can kind of see it's not perfect, and it's not this way for every single person, but if you really start to look at things, you can kind of see that it begins, I'm not even going to pay attention to that. So he just turns his back and won't even be bothered with the Nile turning to blood. But then he figures out a way for them to kind of assuage his conscience. Oh, it's not a big deal. This is not a real thing. But then suddenly there's things that can't be ignored anymore. And he begins to have to pay attention. But in the process of paying attention, he's still not going to give it the credit that it clearly deserves. Now, I'd like to be able to tell you that I cannot identify with these things. But unfortunately, I know how this goes. I have lived this kind of life where if I can ignore it, I'm going to ignore it. When I cease to ignore it, I begin to explain it away. Can I get an amen on that, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, we don't want to sit there and go, this is clearly on me. I'm in the wrong and I need to change my ways. No, no, that's, that's the last resort. We don't want to jump to a conclusion that actually means we change. Can, you know, can I get a witness like, y'all know what I'm talking about. We don't want to go there first. If we can blame it on somebody or, you know, just kind of keep going in the way that we're going and not really change anything about us. But notice in this first step, Pharaoh hardens his heart and just ignores. The second step, others are warning Pharaoh. If you, did you notice the magician said, this is something we can't replicate. We can't do this. But then you can see Pharaoh begins to bargain with God. <laughs> now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I have a feeling you know somebody. Uh, you won't say their name, but you know somebody, at least one person who said, God, if you will just, then I will make sure and give you whatever. How many of you know somebody like that? Can I, <laughs> y'all have had that experience. Lord, get me out of this ticket, you know. <laughs> Lord, make this police officer favorably disposed to me, you know, and I will serve you all my days, <laughs> you know, whatever. So Pharaoh begins to bargain with Moses and Aaron and by default bargaining with God. So Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and says, go and sacrifice to your God here in the land. Now, hold on. It almost seems like on the surface that Pharaoh is giving in, but that wasn't what God said he wanted, and that wasn't what Moses declared to him. He said, let my people go into the wilderness and worship the God that has brought them together as a nation. Let them go into the wilderness three days journey. And Pharaoh's like, I got a better idea. Y'all are going to stay close by, so when we need you to go back to work the next day, y'all will be right where we can find you. That's my idea. How, do you, how does that sound to you, right? That's the New Texas version, right? You, you know what I'm saying. But he's telling you, I will let you go offer sacrifices to the Lord in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. And by the way, pray for me. <laughs> Moses said, no, no, no. As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies that are infesting your entire country They're not just going to leave your country, but they're going to leave you, all of his officials, all of his people. But I want to warn you. Y'all follow along with what God's word says, but kind of follow along with what he's saying here. Just make sure that you don't do what you already have done and shown yourself to be capable of doing, to talk a good game and then turn your back on the promise that you made. Right? Don't be deceitful, again, by not actually letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord like you said that you were going to do. 
And the Lord did what Moses asked. We're kind of condensing this down, and you can see that. The, the scripture references, and then the C-O-N-D, that's the condensed down. The Lord did what Moses asked, and not a single fly remained in the entire area. How many of you have ever had a fly that just decided that he was going to be your pet, and you couldn't get rid of I mean, isn't that the most frustrating and fury? Can you imagine the plague? Just do anything, make these flies go away. He prays, and it happens And the moment that he gets relief, this time also, Pharaoh did what? He hardened his heart and would not let the people go. You see what's going on here. I'm moving just enough for you to pray and get me out of this plague. And then I'm pulling back and not doing what I've asked, what I've said I was due and uh, begun to say that I would do. All right, I'm going to hit pause just so these things don't all flow together. How many of you guys have ever heard of Ulysses S. Grant before? Any of y'all ever heard of Ulysses S. Grant? Ulysses S. Grant was the Union Major General. He was also the 18th President of the United States between 1869 and 1877. It's a very, very interesting thing. This guy's name is U.S. Grant. I mean, that is something that inspires some pretty exciting confidence, right? But here's what's really interesting about U.S. Grant. Go to this next slide and you will find out. He actually is Hiram Ulysses S. Grant, or Ulysses Grant. And somewhere in the recommendation, they put the letter S in there as his middle name, but it wasn't. He later became known as U.S. Grant, and it was said to stand for Unconditional Surrender Grant when he was Major General of the Union during the Civil War. He was the one who eventually took Lee's uh, surrender, and he said, I will only take one manner of surrender from you, and that is unconditional surrender, U.S. Grant. You guys with me? Last week, Jacob had something that was incredibly insightful, and I changed the wording just a tiny bit, and it is so important that we grasp. Pharaoh thought he could bargain with God But then, after the fact, he realized he could not. God does not bargain with you or with me. Now, we might try to bargain with God, but he is not interested in a bargain. He is only interested in our unconditional surrender. Can I just tell you something? I'm here to tell you, I don't know a lot, And I'm not the wisest man that you've ever met by any stretch of the imagination. But I can tell you that Moses, in that 40 years of the desert, that he began as a very, very proud man. By the end of it, he was a very, very humble man. A man who was ready to unconditionally surrender to God because he had been broken down. Now, when I was young, I thought I had all of the things in the world figured out. Now, I know none of y'all did, right? When you're in your 20s, you think you got it all figured out, and if you just work your plan and plan your work, then everything's gonna work out just fine and it's gonna go just like you think because that's just how life is. You put in A and you get out B. And then my life started happening, and I realized I actually don't have it figured out. I can't do A equals B every single time because sometimes the world interrupts my plan and even with the best intentions and the best actions 
and the best reasonings and the best works and the best plan and all of those things, it still sometimes gives me stuff that is far from the best. Now, can I get an amen on that, right? You've had it happen. Your life got turned upside down in the midst of doing things that you thought were the right kinds of things. I'm here to tell you, and let's go ahead and go to our next slide. You will be faced with an unconditional surrender before God. And if you will give him that, then he will use you. He will change you. He will work in you and he will work through you. But you will never be the man or the woman that God has called you to be or prepared you to be if you still think you can bargain with God, talk about God, and do the things that you think make him do your will and your bidding because God is not like that. God is God and we are not. And even if we were to think that we were a God that could shake our fist in the face of the one true God, he reminds us and life reminds us that we can't do it on our own and we don't get to say what happens. He is the one who unconditionally we will surrender to. And by the way, you can do that here on this side of eternity or you can wait and do it on that side of eternity, but there will be an unconditional surrender in your life and in mine. It's just the truth. And the better, the sooner we do, the better our life will be. Moses was taken there after 40 years. Pharaoh's timeline is a whole lot shorter and it would happen in the 10 plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. Spoiler alert, the crossing of the Red Sea takes the lives of all the Egyptians. Pharaoh tries to do his little game of, yes, you can. No, I changed my mind. God doesn't even let him get that done at the Red Sea. And come next week and I'll tell you the rest of that story, okay? So let's go to our next slide. I know y'all never heard it before, right? Okay, very good. Here we go. The Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. The next day, the Lord did it. All of the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one single animal belonged to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found out that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died, yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. In other words, I am now being confronted with evidence, but I will reject it because my heart will not allow me to be unconditionally surrendered. I'm not going to lie. This is where it gets tough. It is between a rock and a hard place. It is a immovable object meets an unstoppable force. You guys have heard that old saying. I, I don't think I got it perfect, but you know what I'm saying. There's a collision course between Pharaoh and God, and y'all know who's going to win. Unfortunately, Pharaoh was convinced that he was going to win, and he would not un unconditionally surrender. Let's go to our next slide. Thought I'd throw a little levity in there. On the count of three, I want to hear this guy's, this is Buzz Lightyear. Do you guys remember his famous words from Toy Story? How many of y'all have ever seen Toy Story? All right, the people who are young, you actually love Toy Story. Those of you who are old, you love Toy Story because it kept your grandkids busy. It kept your kids busy, right? But what was his line? It was to what? That's right. Y'all sound really good. To infinity and beyond, right? 
You guys know what infinity means, right? It's without end. It's without end. So here is the big idea for today. God's power is infinite, infinity and beyond, but God's patience is not. God's power is infinite, but God's patience is not. Can we say that together? Ready? One, two, three. God's power is infinite, but God's patience is not. How many of you know that there is a a line that you can cross where you cease to forgive and help your kids and you cross the line and you begin to enable your kids? Y'all ever seen that, right? This is where we know in our own lives and in our own kind of situations and circumstances, we realize I can keep forgiving and keep, you know, being soft and keep being patient, but ultimately there has to come a time where there is a line and you say, You've had all of the chances. Now there will be punishment. Now there will be a reckoning, right? And the truth of the matter is, is that that unconditional surrender I mentioned, the infinity that God's power has is about to be poured out on a man who just simply will not surrender because God's patience has worn incredibly thin. Now, I want to be very clear about something. Let's go ahead and go to our next slide. And this is very important. This is something that Jacob spoke about last week, and I want to reiterate this. The Egyptians are a culture of genocidal, oppressive slave drivers. For at least 80 years, for at least 80 years, they were killing every male child that they could get their hands on to prevent them from being a a soldier against them. And they were oppressively beating the the Jewish slaves that they had and using them in in terrible ways. And so as you go on here, you see that they had turned their backs on God. They were oppressive. They were slave drivers in every sense of the word. And they were given many chances to comply with God. And every single time, not only they, but also their leader refused. Thus, God delivers justice and makes it crystal clear that he alone is the one true God. Now, I would love to be able to tell you that ultimately, no matter what, no matter what you do, God will always forgive, 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 and there will never be a day of reckoning. But I have to tell you, I've read the book a lot. I've read it all the way through from cover to cover, and there are plenty of warnings that tell us that God will not always just simply forgive and excuse that there does come a time where we have to make a choice. And it is so much easier for us to choose the God who loves us and wants to provide for us, protect us, and work in us if he at all possibly can. But we have to unconditionally surrender first, and then all these other benefits begin to flow to us. Chuck Swindoll says these words, and it's so interesting and so powerful, really. He says, to be painfully honest, when you and I look back at our lives, We don't find ourselves puzzled and mystified about God's will nearly as much as we find ourselves stubborn and resistant to the one directing our steps. Our problem is not that we don't know. Our problem is that we do know and we're not willing to follow through. This goes for us as Christians as well as it did for Pharaoh, the king who would not give himself to the Lord. Now let's move very quickly here, the last step. And this is a little scary but I want you to hear the truth of God's word. The last step, after all of these things, the first step, Pharaoh hardened his heart, just ignored it. Then others warned him, but he wouldn't listen. Then he began to bargain with God, then just rejected all of the evidence that God provided. And then finally, this is the scary one. 
the last step here is that Pharaoh's heart is no longer hardened by Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart is hardened by God himself. There comes a line where God says, this is as far as I go and no more. You've had every chance and you've had every opportunity. You've had every bit of evidence that you could pay attention to, but I go no further. At this point, you and I have become enemies because you have chosen to be a man who shakes his, his fist in the face of God. And you can't do that. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. And so Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. End of story. Drop the mic. This is where they split and they go their separate ways, although they can probably see one another across the battlefield and across the Red Sea. Yeah, that's coming next week. Be here. Let's go to our next slide. Three things to notice real quickly, and then I want to talk about some ways that we can take some solace even in a difficult lesson that we hear. First of all, three things to notice. Pharaoh has multiple chances and multiple voices in his ear trying to keep him from the Passover happening. He, have, he has people telling him this is not something that man can do. This is the finger of God and he still will not listen. The second thing to notice is this. God's foreknowledge is not causal. That's the fancy theological way of saying just because I know you're going to do it didn't mean I made you do it. You guys know what I'm saying? How many of you know exactly what your kid would want whenever you laid three or four different options before him? You said, I know exactly what she's going to choose, and I know exactly what he's going to choose. You didn't make them choose it, but you knew what they were going to do. How many of you all have ever had that happen, right? If you got kids, you know. Like, you know exactly how they're going to act and react. And God did not cause this, but he did put Pharaoh into a place where he had an opportunity to repent and reject and unconditionally surrender, but God did not make him be stubborn and rebellious. That's not God. God's just and fair, and he gives everyone a chance to repent, including Pharaoh, and also, by the way, including you and me. Let's go to our last uh, thing to notice here, that Pharaoh has warning that it is coming to his own house and his own son. Did you guys hear that, what Eric read just a few moments ago? And you probably, if you have your Bible still open or your Bible app still open, you hear Moses, and as he warns him, he says, I want you to know that the plague of the firstborn is coming and this one is going to hit the hardest by far. This is not gonna be something where you sweep the gnats away, where you push the frogs back into the Nile, where the Nile River turns to blood and then it changes back. This one is going to cripple you emotionally and personally you will never be the same because if you will not submit and let God have his way with his people, then you will pay the dearest of price. And I want you to know that it will happen from the greatest to the least, from the house of the Pharaoh and his own son, all the way down to the servant girl behind the, the rolling of the millstone. In other words, every single firstborn will die, including yours. Now, can I hit pause? Can you imagine every single time that Moses has said, the, the river's going to turn to blood, there's going to be flies, there's going to be boils, there's going to be frogs, there's going to be darkness, there's going to be, and he's, he's hit nine for nine. 
He's hit nine for nine. And he says to you, if you will not submit, the tenth and the worst plague is literally going to cost you your firstborn son. I'm serious. How many of you would say, no matter what I've done up to this point, I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my path. I'm changing my course. But he would not. Scary stuff. Gives you a sense of who Pharaoh was. Some scary things that happen. And I just want to mention something. The warning here that it's coming to your house reminds us that your choice and my choice always has ramifications, not just for me, but for those that I love. I want you to hear me. God is able to redeem and change lives. He is able to buy back and purchase back your past. But there are ripple effects of your choices. Please be very careful and cautious and realize that when you make poor choices, choices where you are literally shaking your fist in the face of God or figuratively doing so, that you've got to remember you're not just choosing that for yourself, you're choosing that for others as well. Because those ramifications don't just get poured out on one person, they get poured out on others. And unfortunately, Pharaoh signed his own son's death certificate because he would not surrender. Let's go to our next slide here. Among the Israelites, not even a dog is going to bark. <laughs> you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. All of these officials of yours are going to come to me bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all the people who follow you, and in that I will leave. And then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. I want to stop here and connect this through line and this thread. I've talked with you about Moses' anger, how he was a first-degree murderer, looked this way, looked that way, and then killed the Egyptian. How he later is kept out of the promised land because he cannot speak to the rock as God instructs him, but he smashes the rock with the staff. God still blesses, but he never does let Moses go in. This is one more chance for Moses to walk away from the anger, but he does not. Who is Moses anyway? He is only God's spokesman. Are any of these people supposed to come and bow down in front of Moses? Or does God want them to bow down in front of him? I mean, this is not a trick question. But what does Moses say? You're going to come to me. And you're going to bow down before me. And you are going to say these things. And then Moses, in the heat of his anger, leaves. Now, can I just speculate on something? Pure speculation. I don't think God was pleased with this little speech. I think what Moses did in the heat of the moment was took the spotlight off of God who was making all these things happen and twisted it and shone the spotlight onto himself and said, you're going to come to me and beg me to do these things and it's not going to happen. I'm not going to do it. You understand what I'm saying? I don't think God was pleased with this. One more, one more time we see Moses' anger getting the best of him and not living exactly as God wants him to. Let's keep ourselves moving here just simply because my time is just about over. Let's keep moving. So um, 
If we can go back one more time. Thank you. So we tell the people, the men and women alike, to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. If you don't know the story, right before the Exodus, all of the Jewish people are said to go to their Egyptian neighbors and say, Hey, um, I need some gold from you. Is that cool? And God makes them go, sure, that's great. Here you go. Take my car as well. No, no, there's, there's no cars back then. That's what, uh, y'all aren't even paying. All right, try not to lose you here. Basically, he says, go to your neighbor, ask them for silver and gold, and they will be favorably disposed to you. They will give it to you. And so as you go out of this 430 years of slavery that you have endured, you're not going to go away empty-handed. Now, it was not sufficient, but it was seed money for the beginning of a nation. You guys with me? You all understand? And this is one more way of God showing himself to be strong. And this is a reminder that God is not just the God of the spiritual. He is the God of everything. He is the God who knows that you have a need before you even know that you need it. He is already at work to meet the need that you have before you even know you've got it. Now, I bet you could probably say, I knew that because God's done that. But this is an example of how God doesn't just say, go worship me spiritually. He says, go and be blessed financially because that will later be a blessing as we begin the tabernacle and the temple. So as we continue here, let's keep going. And then he instructs them to, to slaughter a lamb to take the blood from that sacrificed lamb, cutting his throat, the blood dripping into a bowl, taking a hyssop plant and painting the doorposts, maybe here in this way on the right or the left, whether they be wood or stone, and you paint it on the, the top over the door and on the left and on the right, and that blood would be the symbol to the avenging angel of God as he passed through, that he would see the blood and pass over that house and home and the firstborn would not be touched with the death that was coming in Egypt. He would pass over the Passover. Let's go to our next slide here. Coming very, very close to the end. Please stay with me. This has been a hard lesson, but here are four places that you and I can take heart. You have a choice and you have a chance right now. If you hear my voice, if you're here today and you know that figuratively you've been shaking your fist in the face of God, I'm here to tell you that you have a choice and a chance right now to change that. Doesn't necessarily mean every single one of the consequences is taken away, but I will promise you better to do it sooner than later. Secondly, God himself provides the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John's words from John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. If you remember when Abraham is going to sacrifice with his son, and Isaac says, uh, we don't even have a lamb to provide a sacrifice. And, God, and Abraham says, God himself will provide a lamb. This is our Passover lamb. He sees the sin that we have committed and the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Great news. He's not just the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away Randy Puckett's sin. Every one of them. 
top to bottom in every way. You see, here's what's great about God is that he is so great that he can forgive every single one of us and yet he is also so great because he can forgive just one of us, one at a time. And he didn't come to just save the world. He came to save you. He came to save me. And as I was preparing this message yesterday, just kind of typing out this slide, I started thinking about something that I had done when I was a teenager. And I had that pit in my stomach. And I was just like, I can't believe I did that. Just shameful, embarrassing, on and on. And I'm not going into it because it doesn't matter, right? I mean, you've done it. You've had the same feeling. And I just felt like this weight of condemnation kind of like bearing down on me. And I just thought, thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, which cleanses us from all sin, not just the easy ones to forgive, but all sin. And in the process of it, I began to quote Romans 8, 28 that says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, thank God that he forgives somebody even just like me, that he forgives the sins of the world, but he's also forgiving me of that thing that wants to hold me in traction and keep me from moving ahead and keep me from looking at myself in the mirror and saying, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. And I don't know about you and what you've done, but I have a feeling you have at least one of these things in your past. And I'm here to tell you that just like the blood is over the door and the, the, the angel that is coming through with judgment will pass over you if the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life and mine. And for that, I am so grateful. Can I get an amen? Amen. The Romans 8.28 principle is, is that for his own, he works all things to good to those that love him and those that are the called according to his purpose. You don't have that promise if you are not one of his own. This is hard, but you can take heart knowing that he will work all things for your good if you belong to him. And then sin has no more death, no more sting, and no more condemnation if we will receive. And I've already spoken about that. This is a hard lesson today when we talk about the, the Passover. We'll conclude next week, but you and I have to receive it. Let's keep moving. And this is where the blood of the Passover lamb ceases to be literal and begins to be spiritual, where one man's sin and blood is figuratively pasted over my life and taken all of the sins placed on Jesus Christ so that I might be forgiven, that I might have purpose and power and a people to live this life with, and then that eventually I have a prize in heaven to be a part of and to achieve. These are all because of the Passover lamb, Jesus, who is crucified during the Passover time whenever he was walking this earth in Jerusalem. Let's keep moving here. Here's how you apply this message. You take God's side. You make it clear that you belong to Jesus by your words and your actions. This is the same thing that Jacob talked about last week, the same I apply by, the same one this week, the same one next week, that we decide and determine it is our pattern of life that will be very clear to everyone who is watching, 
that I belong to Jesus and I no longer live, but it is God who lives in me. This is how we apply this message. I'm ending this message very quickly with this short, brief story. I have a friend who did something in his life that cost him very, very, very dearly. Almost cost him his family, cost him in many ways financially and on and on and on down the line. But in his heart of hearts, he could never get past it because he knew what he had done had affected other people. It rippled out. And there was a lot to apologize for and there was a lot to be forgiven of. Interestingly, there were people that were trying to tell him, keep moving, keep going, don't get caught and don't get bogged down. He told me in a conversation privately, he said, here's the problem with that. I can't just keep moving on because I know all the stuff that has come behind the sin that I committed. And I can't just sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not a big deal because I know it's a big deal. I hurt this person. I hurt this person. I hurt my kids. I hurt my wife. I hurt my mom. I hurt my reputation. I hurt my friends. I hurt my church. And he just had this list of people that he had hurt. And it was long and it was deep, deep wounds. He said, I can't just move on and forget and pretend that it was not important. We talked and talked and talked about the concept of this is why the cross was so harmful and yet is so powerful. You look at the cross and you realize that it's not cheap grace. It is painful, harmful. It's heavy. It's deep. It's it's hard to get past it without having tears come if you really understand the cross. But he said, I can remember the cross and I realize that what happened is, is that I can transfer my guilt that I know calls for something that really should hurt and realize that it doesn't have to hurt me because it's already hurt him. You are not called to an easy grace. You're not called to an easy grace that is just not a big deal. You're called to live in light of a man who took your deep pain, hard sorrow, physical stress and difficulty that can't even really be put into words, but he took it all for you. You just simply have to say, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world including mine. Now, if you can do that, you know that the things that you've done that are deep and have caused wounds and have hurt deeply didn't just hurt deeply, but it hurt him deeply. And so the balance comes back and we say, that's right. And without him, there is no forgiveness, but with him, there is forgiveness and there is life on the other side of that forgiveness. And so, dear God, we praise you and glorify you for sending the Passover lamb. It wasn't a physical lamb. It was the lamb of God in your son Jesus who came to give himself for us. May we together today figuratively place the blood of Jesus over our sins, 
our failures, those things which write guilt and shame and condemnation all over our lives. But instead, may we give them to you, placing them under your grace and your goodness and your forgiveness that we desperately need. Today, dear God, may we be reminded of what you have done and may we live in light of that. For a moment, let's take just a small bit of time to be reminded of what God has done for you and what God has done for me. I don't know where you are, but with everybody just kind of keeping your heads bowed, just take a moment and allow God to speak to you. Do you know that there's something in your life that once again needs the touch of the blood and forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Do you know that today? And you just want to simply lift your hand and say, you know what, that's where I'm at. And I'm once again being reminded of his incredible sacrifice to undo my incredible failures and sins. And you just want to simply lift your hand very quickly and just say, that's where I'm at, where God and his forgiveness flows. May God bless you and you and you and you. Anyone else here today? May God bless you too. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Father, for all that you have done for us. We love you. We... We realize that you have written a whole new story for us that eventually we enter the promised land, but we can see it from where we are because we see your grace and your goodness that cleanses us from all sins, including those in our past and including those that are yet to be done in our life. We rest fully in your amazing, unspeakable, and uncomprehendable grace. And we unconditionally surrender our lives to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone together said, amen. Thank you guys so much for your time and attention. I've run just a little long. Thank you guys for that extra time and you guys uh, being with me and staying with me during this time. But may God bless you as you go your separate ways. Please stay, give blood. It's, not a, it's totally a God thing that we're talking about the blood of Jesus and we're giving blood today. I promise I didn't plan that. I wish I had. Really would have been smart, but uh, I guess it's just a God thing. But please, stay, give blood, donate, be a person who makes a difference in our community. Don't forget to be participating each and every week in our Impact Month and all the things that are coming up. We're counting on you to make an impact and we can't do it without you. So everybody get in, roll up your sleeves and let's get this job done together. Hey, love you guys. Thank you all so much. I'm so glad to be the pastor of this church and I appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you all have a great week and don't forget to just live your life in a way that identifies you as God's and we just are gonna end the way we always do. We've just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. God bless you guys. Love y'all. Y'all have a great week.